Before we get started, how many of you guys have ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody ever read that book Pilgrim's Progress? Or you know about it, okay? Very few people have read it, but you know about it. It's an allegory. It's written by John Bunyan, and it's, it's an allegory, so there's a lot of typology and stuff in there, and it's about a guy named Christian who, you know, in the allegory, he's, he's on the road to salvation. He's, try, he's going through the gate. He's, he comes to the cross, and he's been carrying this burden on his back this whole time. And as he comes to the cross, this burden that was on his back the whole time, it rolls down. It just rolls away. He had to, he had to leave his family to go on this path, but he's on this path that is called salvation, and there are walls on each side in, in this path. How many of you guys know that the, the, uh, the way to salvation is a narrow road, right? It's a narrow road that leads to life. And so he goes on this narrow road with walls on each side, the road to salvation, and as he's going, he sees two guys climb up over the wall to get onto the road. And he, he knows, he's like, that's not how it happens. And, he, and these two guys' name, remember, it's, it's all allegory. They're named formalist and, uh, formalist and hypocrisy. And they climb over the wall, and he says, no, you know, it's written that he that comes not by the door is a thief and a robber. Now, some of you guys are wondering about that word that was just given that was, that was talking about the door. They had no idea this is where we were starting off and today. But it says, those who, are com who comes not by the door is a thief and a robber. And what this is all talking about is that there are many people who still today try to come to salvation over the wall and not through the door. How many of you guys know that Jesus is that door, right? And so many people, though, are trying to come to salvation over the wall. And so today, as we're looking at this uh, book of Acts, we're going through the book of Acts, we've come to two big questions that are going to appear in two rather extreme stories that in, in all of the Bible, really, but they happen to be in the book of Acts, and they happen to be neighboring chapters back to back in chapters four and five, and out of these two rather extreme stories, we're going to see two questions that have to do with coming over the wall. And so here's the first one. It's in Acts chapter four, verse 32. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Now, first of all, let's just put ourselves in the story for a second, okay? Imagine you're one of the apostles and disciples for just a second, and you're among a group of people like this who decided that nothing that I have belongs to me, and, but they had everything in common. This will mess with your politics a little bit, but... Um, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, listen to this, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Imagine if this happened today. And everyone here went out and sold whatever property you had and then brought all of the proceeds and just laid them here at the altar and said, do what you want with it. How many of you guys know that would be a pretty extreme moment, wouldn't it? That would be kind of out of the ordinary. And it says that thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So the first of two questions, when I read this story, here's the question that comes to me, and maybe it's come to you too. 
But when I read a story like this, it's so extreme, really. Here's the question that comes up to me. Am I doing enough? Like I'm reading in the Bible and I'm like, I'm not anywhere close to that, right? Am I doing enough? Because I... You know, I, I, watch, I grew up watching my parents. My parents were very open-handed, and they are very open-handed. They, they give things that I, I think is like over-the-top generosity. That we, we had people living with us all the time just because they needed to, and they just say, come and live with us. And so growing up, I had people living with us all the time. We, I mean, they're very open-handed. And so, so we've tried to be that way to some degree as far as just, you know, being generous with some of the things we have. I mean, we've given away cars and stuff before. They weren't that good, but it was all we had, and we gave it away because it somebody needed it, but we were trying to do what we could to live a generous life. And, and then, but I'm looking at this and I'm saying, am I doing enough? And then I read of people like Robert Morris. Many of you guys have read his books or heard his story, how he literally did this. He gave away all of his stuff, all of his money, his house, his cars, everything. And I'm like, I'm not anywhere close to that. Right. And then God blessed him with it all back. And then he did it again. He gave it all away again. Am I doing enough? How many of you guys have kind of stirred up that question? I wonder how I'm doing. And the question like this is really, it's a good question and it's a bad question. So it's a good question in the sense that we should be inspired when we see other people's faith. I mean, when you hear a story like this, there should be something on the inside of you that, that stretches you a little bit to do more than what you're doing. We should be convicted when we're not living like we should, right? We should be convicted when we're slacking off, when we're not doing what we should. And, and so that's a good part of this question. Am I doing enough? It should pull us into deeper things of God. It should pull us into more generosity. It should pull us into going, going further in Christ. But there's also a bad side of the question. And many times it produces this question. It's not so much, am I doing enough? But it's really the question of how do I measure up? And how many of us have wrestled with that question before, right? So when we hear a story like this, we're kind of like, how do I measure up? How, how am I really doing? And this really is a form of what we call legalism. And it's essentially, it can lead to a form of trying to climb over the wall, so to speak. Trying to come to salvation by some other way, by trying to come over the wall. So I'm going to give you a definition of legalism that I made up, and you may not like it, but I made it up. And so it, it's, this is what we're going to deal with. Here's one of the definitions of legalism. Legalism is doing as much as you can do to earn right standing with God. So it's like looking at your life and saying, what is the most I can do? as much as I can do to earn my right standing with God. And as I look around with other, at other people, I, I'm trying to measure up and to see, are they doing more to earn right standing? Maybe I need to do more to earn right standing with God. And here's what this does. This turns a lot of to-dos into to-bees. And what I mean by that is this, is when you start to get some to-bees, like I do this to be right with God. How many of you guys have ever fallen into this trap before? Like I read my Bible to be right with God. I pray to be right with God. I avoid sin to be right with God. I worship to be right with God. I go to church to be right with God. I serve to be right with God. I look at a story about giving and I give 
to be right with God. And it turns into a lot of to be's to be right with God. This is a form of legalism. Now, obviously, we just baptize some people, and it's a beautiful thing to baptize people, and we see that picture that's painted outwardly of what's happened internally. But last week, I had somebody ask me a great question. They were thinking about getting baptized, but the, the question they were struggling with was this. Should I get baptized? Because I want to follow Jesus, but I also know that maybe I'm not good at following through on some things, too. Like, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't know... Basically, what they were asking is, how do I follow Jesus if when I make that decision, I'm not going to measure up? I'm not going to be able to follow through with what I want to follow through with. That's essentially asking, how do I, essentially saying, do I qualify? And here's what I want you to understand. Counting the cost means decision, not perfection. So you can count the cost and decide that I'm going to make a decision, but I'm not going to be perfect at it. I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. Trying to measure up is trying to achieve perfection. And can I just tell you, you will never qualify to get in that tank. There's nothing you can do that will ever qualify you to get in the tank to be baptized. You're not going to be able to earn your way there. You're not going to be able to work hard enough. You're not going to be able to follow through enough. You're not going to have enough good works. You're not going to have enough, uh, uh, you know, a string of good behavior. You're not going to be able to read your Bible enough. You're not going to be able to be moral enough. You're not going to, there's nothing you can do that will qualify you to get into that tank to be baptized. There's nothing you can do. In fact, Acts chapter 4, since we're there, 11 and 12, it says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. It's saying, Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. And there is, there is, there is salvation in no one else. Okay, can I just say this plainly? There's no other way to the Father. There's no other way to salvation but Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do. There's no other name. There's no other path. There's no other God. There's no other system. There's no other religion. It's Jesus or nothing. That's it. There's, and, and because it's Jesus, because Jesus is that door, there's no climbing over the wall any other way. The only way is through the baptismal waters of surrender to receive grace from God. And it goes on to say, and there's no salvation on no one else for there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Well, here's what it's saying. I hope you guys are getting this because I'm going to just preach louder until you do. I'm just telling you. But it's not saying that you shouldn't try to earn your way to salvation. It's saying you can't. You can't do it as hard as you try, as good as you are. And so, listen, as the best, the most moral person that you know without Christ is in the same boat as somebody who's a murderer or a thief or rob, it doesn't matter. Because the only way is by the grace of God. And that, my friend, is a gift from God that you cannot earn. Let me just say it even stronger. That there is nothing you can do right now that will make God love you anymore. And there is nothing you can do right now that will make God love you any less than he does right now. I know some of us have a hard time with that because we're like, well, yeah, but I mean, what about? And you're thinking some what abouts. You're thinking some two B's, right? 
But I'm telling you, what I'm trying to tell you today is the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is no other way to be saved except by the grace of God. There's no other name that you can be saved under except for Jesus Christ. And so because of that, we're going to do something right here in the middle of the message. We're going to receive communion right now because I want to just establish this firmly in our hearts. And so the worship team is going to come and we're just going to have a moment where we remind ourselves that there is nothing you can do to earn your way into salvation. So when we ask that question, am I doing enough? I want you to understand you will never be able to do enough to earn your way to salvation. You will never be good enough to, get your, to, to make your way there. And so the worship team, I don't even know if they're in the building, but there they are. Okay, worship team, we're going to do this without songs or not. We're going to receive communion, okay? And so would you guys stand up with me? And I'm just going to pray. And there's tables in back and there's tables in front. And what we're going to do is we're just going to have a moment where we remind ourselves that the gift of right standing with God, which is the righteousness of Christ, is, is it's a gift. It, it's something that's not an exchange based on our behavior. It's a gift of grace that's given to us. And so, Lord, right now we are so thankful for this gift of your grace. And I pray for those who are struggling with this question. Am I doing enough? Do I measure up? Do I qualify? Right now, as we come to the table and we, we receive this juice that represents the blood that was spilled, that we're reminded that our sins have been washed and cast as far as the east is from the west. When we receive this cracker, this bread that represents your body that was broken for us, we're reminded that you paid the price, that you exchanged your life for us. Not because we were so good, but because you are so good. And so, Lord, as we have this moment here at our, at our seat in this, during this song, would you, by revelation of the Holy Spirit, seat this so down deep on the inside of us that we cannot be moved away from the fact that you are the door and we are your sons and daughters and that nothing can move us from your love. And we're so thankful for that in Jesus' name. Let's come and let's receive. I pray right now that this would just settle deep on the inside of us, that we have been bought with a price, that we can't earn our way to salvation, but it's a gift of God. We, we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for that. But we're not done. That's just part one of the message. And this message, I'm just going to be honest with you, is going to have a little whiplash feel to it. So we're, we're going to kind of go into part two of this message and you're going to feel like, whoa, how did we get here really quickly? Because the first story was really producing this question of, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? But chapter five, that was the end of chapter four. Chapter five starts with, but. Now, I don't know too many chapters that start with, but. <laughs> But when it does, there's something important. It's connecting the two ideas and it's connecting the stories and it's giving something else to think about as we continue in this. So the first one, everybody's giving everything away and you're kind of like, man, am I doing enough? 
And then it says, but. Barnabas gave away his stuff and brought it, but. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of, of property. So they sold a piece of property as well. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Remember, everybody else was bringing everything and bringing it all there. But these guys, they, they sold it, but they brought a part of it and they let everyone think that they had brought all of it. But Peter said, he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And he goes on, he says, when it remained unsold, did you not remain your own? He's saying, you didn't even have to sell it. Everybody else was doing this because God was inspiring them to do it. You didn't even have to sell it. So you could have just kept it. But it says, and even after you sold it, was it not at your disposal? You could have said, we only feel led to bring part of the proceeds and to keep part. You could have done that and been honest. Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, listen to this, he fell down and breathed his last. That means he died. He just literally just died right on the spot. This is really extreme, especially on the New Testament side of things, right? And I don't pretend to understand all of what's going on here. There's a lot of stuff that I'm like, I don't know why this happened this way. And so he dies right on the spot and great fear came upon all who heard it. Well, I would think so. And then the young men rose and they wrapped him up and they carried him and buried him. So he dies on the spot. Evidently, there are people ready to go and bury this guy and they just trot in, they take him out and they bury him. Well, you can keep reading that Within just a little bit of time, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. Same thing happens. They ask her, well, what's going on? And she lies again, and she falls dead, and they carry her out. How you guys agree? This is kind of an extreme story, right? Especially back-to-back to, back to the other extreme story. And the question that's happening here, the question that I think Ananias was asking, he was not asking the question, am I doing enough? Ananias was asking the question, Am I doing too much? And see, after we just talked about all of this stuff about, am I doing enough and you know, God's grace and all that type of stuff, you might question and say, is it even possible when I'm thinking about God and how good he is to ever do too much? Could I ever think I'm doing too much for God? And yet here Ananias is saying, maybe I am. Maybe I'm doing too much for God. And see, so let me give you the second definition of legalism. One def definition is legalism is giving as much, is trying to do as much as you can do to earn right standing with God. The other side of legalism, same thing, same side of the coin, it's also legalism. Legalism is doing as little as you can do to try to earn right standing with God. Because both of these sides of the coin are trying to figure out what are the rules what are the expectations? And one person is saying, how can I do as much of those as possible to somehow earn right standing with God? And the other person is saying, how can I still qualify, but do as little of those things and still make the cut? Am I doing too much? And you might say, well, I don't even know if that's possible. Well, you don't think that happens? Well, there's a reason why money and giving are in both of these stories, because people have a problem with money and giving. And so on one side, we see 
the, the people who are like, man, maybe I'm not doing enough. These guys are giving all their stuff. And somebody else is like, you know what? I might be doing too much. I might be giving a little too much right now. To, see, legalism is trying to find every technicality, every loophole, every glitch in the system, every acceptable excuse, every theological justification to do as little as possible to please God. That's legalism. And so Ananias was trying to do that. All right, so let me just give you an example. Not, not because I'm choosing this, and you guys know that I don't normally talk about these things very often, but you also know me that when I talk about something, I'm going to just lay it out there for you, okay? This is my job. This is what I do. I'm just laying it out here for you. Some people will say, well, tithing, that's Old Testament. I'm not going to do that because that's Old Testament. So what I've found is that I'm trying to figure out what does it take to please God? What are the rules? What are the things? Tithing's Old Testament. I'm not going to do that. Well, someone might make a case, well, Jesus told the Pharisees that they should tithe anyway. That's New Testament. That's Jesus who said that. But, but still, you know, somebody say, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Here, here's what I found, by the way. Almost every person that I've ever talked to who's tried to debate tithing is not because they wanted to give more money. It's because they want to give less. Now, you may be the exception to the rule, and you're the one who, like, you're debating tithing because you want to give more. And tithing is such a restraint to you, you know? And you just can't seem to get over how, you know, how God was so legalistic in the Old Testament. If he could just set us free, and I'd give all my stuff, just like Barnabas, you know? Maybe that's you. But let me just show you something. If you're saying, man, tithing's Old Testament, I'm not going to do that. Okay, let's, let's look at something here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Now if the ministry of death, carved in let, on letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. You're saying, what is it talking about there? Let me just stop and give you a little bit of what it's talking about. It's talking about when Moses came off the mountain with the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. He comes down. He had encountered God so powerfully that his face was glowing. His face was reflecting the presence of God. And people couldn't look at him. He had to put a veil over his face finally because people couldn't even look at him. And what it's saying is that old covenant was filled with so much glory and power, yet it was coming to an end. And then it goes on to say, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that's talking about the law, the ministry of righteousness, now we're talking about new covenant, new testament, post-cross, the, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed in its glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. It's talking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law because of the, the glory that surpasses it, the new covenant, this side of the cross, what Jesus has now done for us. And we live by grace instead of under the law. And it says, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. What it's saying is that the law was filled with glory, but it's come to an end. But the new thing that has come, which is living by faith, to see righteousness by faith rather than by, by the law, the new thing is going to far exceed in its glory and power that which is of the old. Here's what it's saying. You will do more living by faith than you do by the law. And so if you're saying, oh, I'm not going to live under the old covenant, better, better be careful what you wish for, right? 
Because it's saying when you live by faith, you will do more by faith than you ever would trying to follow rules under the law. You will far exceed it. And, and so, but even if you say that, you know, the, the old covenant, you know, that's that tithing, whatever, even if you just apply principles of the new covenant, Cheerful giving, sacrificial giving, generous giving, the examples in scripture, uh, the teaching of Paul, he talks about ministers being worthy of double honor in their way. All these principles in the scripture that we've just seen, if you just apply New Testament principles of giving, you will end up giving more in the new covenant than you ever would in the old. And so, so many of us, we can fall into legalism in one of two traps. Am I doing enough or am I doing too much? And I think many people in their, they feel guilty because they feel like they're not doing too much, but in their pride, they say, I'm probably doing too much. And, And so both of them are legalism. And so here's what I want to say, that minimalism is just another form of legalism because some do as much as they can to try to receive grace and earn it, and some do as little as they can. Both are legalistic expressions. Now, can anybody see the tension here in the message? Because the part one, we talked about how the grace of God is so amazing and we can't do anything to make God love us anymore or make God love us any less. And then we have this tension of walking out obedience before God. The tension of obedience. How do we walk in obedience before God and not fall into legalism? How do we do that? I thought I was going to make it through this message without a video, but I couldn't do it. So I I found this illustration that I think is going to be helpful for somebody as we wrestle with this. Let's watch. All right. There seems to be this debate in Scripture between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James because James wrote the book of James and Paul wrote the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, Paul talks a whole lot about how it's not about works. It's about faith. Then you go over to the book of James and James is saying, hey, if you say you got faith, but you don't have any works or any obedience, then uh, your faith is dead. And so it seems like they're really at odds. And in a lot of ways, it it really does seem like that. But I, I think and a lot of commentators will say, really, it's just two guys who are writing about the same thing, but from a different perspective. So Imagine with me that Paul, from Paul's perspective, he's inside my house right now, and not actually, but he, let's imagine he's inside my house, he's sitting in front of my fireplace, and he started a fire, and he's looking at the fire, and he's saying, the fire is like faith, like the, the fire is what we're really all about, and, and it is, like faith is what it's all about, he's saying, the fire is like, why even worry about smoke when you've got the fire, and, and he's right, the fire is what it's about, that, that faith but James is on the outside. Like, let's just pretend that James is out here and he's looking up at the chimney and he's like looking at and the chimney represents our life. The house represents our life. And he's saying, that's great. You can say you have a fire all day long, but if there's no smoke coming out the chimney, then I really have to question whether you, you actually have a fire or whether you're just saying there's a fire there because there's no smoke. And so he's saying, if there's no smoke, then there's probably no fire. And he's saying, if there's no obedience, there's probably not really faith. And so they're really writing about the same thing. Here's the good news though, because there is this tension between faith and obedience, between grace and obedience. The good news is, is that we can walk in obedience before God without becoming a legalist. The real question then is how do we do it? 
All right, so how many of you guys want to walk before God in obedience, but don't want to fall into this ditch of legalism? How do we do this? So I'll just say a statement, and then we'll talk about maybe how to apply this. But the way we do this, the way we follow God and walk in obedience without becoming a legalist is simply obeying from faith rather than from duty. We obey out of faith rather than obligation. Now, let me just kind of give you, paint a picture how this looks. I've shared this story before, but many, many years ago, several years ago now, I was, for most of my life, I had this problem. Whenever somebody would try to give me something or give a compliment to me, I'd be all awkward about it. I'm like, no, 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 no thanks. Like, uh, try to redirect or deflect and, and just very uncomfortable receiving compliments or receiving gifts. How many of you guys are kind of like that? You don't have to raise, yeah, raise your hand halfway up so we don't really acknowledge you. But uh, yeah, I was there and and I, one day I was just, something happened, I can't remember what it was, and I was having this conversation with God. And, and it's like, I heard God say this, why do you have a problem with that? And I was like, I don't know, it's awkward. <laughs> it's, it's awkward for me to do. And as I began to think about it, I started to think, well, all of my life, whether, I mean, it wasn't an intentional thing, but somehow along the way, I just kind of picked up this thought process that what I do equals how much I'm worth. And that was kind of reinforced as I was growing up. And, and as a teenager, I worked for my dad and we worked in construction. And so literally, however much, we would stand back at the end of the day and we would see from the start of the day to the end of the day, we'd see how much work we did. And for a while we were on a bonus system, kind of like a commission system. So some of you guys will get this. However much work we did directly correlated into how much value we got. And when you do that day after day after day after day, somehow unintentionally, I started to think of all of life in that way. That my production, whatever I produced, was directly in correlation to how much value I had. And somehow that had, that had seeped into my thinking. And so when I was asking God, or God was saying, well, why do you have a problem with that? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just, and I eventually, I just came out in conversation. I said, it's because I didn't earn it. Like whenever somebody tries to give me something, it's because I feel awkward because I didn't earn what they're trying to give me. And he said, then that's why you have a problem receiving my grace too. Because even though I'd been following Jesus for a long, long time, you know, you can still follow and still need layers of revelation to happen, right? And it's like somewhere along the way, I'd picked up this idea that, that I had to earn everything with God. I had to earn. I had a lot of two Bs. And, and so God began to, he's, he's, I said, I want to be free from that. And so for like two to three months, people just started giving me random stuff. And like, I mean, little things, big things, random things, things I didn't ask for, things that I didn't tell anybody I wanted, like very specific things. And just for concentrated two to three months, I called it the season of blessing because I was like, I finally tapped out. I was like, okay, God, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I, I get your point here. I understand. And by the way, now I'm over it. If you want to give me stuff, just go ahead. I'm just, I'm past that. I'm done with it, right? But God just set me free in that way and somehow, a layer of my thinking changed from to be to because I. And this is going to help somebody out quite a bit. 
If you want to walk by faith rather than obligation, you have to change to be into because I. And let me just show you kind of how this works. I don't read my Bible to be right with God. I read my Bible because I am right with God. I don't read my Bible to be in relationship with God. I read my Bible because I am in relationship with God. I don't pray to be right with God. I pray because I am right with God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and therefore I pray. I have a conversation with God. I don't uh, read my Bible to, like, if I screw up and now I've got to pay penance and kind of do my time in the penalty box, and then, you know, uh, when, I, when I'm good enough, I can come back in and I can start playing for the Lord again. No, that's not how it works. I don't do it to be put back in the game. I do it because I'm in relationship with God. You know, there's this principle in the scripture of giving God your first and your best. And it's all throughout scripture. It's painted in the Old Testament. The, the principle goes into the New Testament. I don't give God my first and my best to try to be in good favor with God. But I do it because I am in, good God's, in God's good favor. And I can trust. So I give God, my, I look at my calendar and I give God the first and the best of my calendar. And last time I talked about this in this room, it was dead quiet when I talked about that. Listen, I don't do that to be right with God or to look good to other people. I do that because I'm in relationship with God and he's my source. My life belongs to him. I'm only here because to do his will. And so it's only right that not to earn God's favor, but to say, this is all yours anyway. I give you my money, my time, my first, my best. It's all yours. Not to earn something from God, but because I'm owned by God. My to be changes into because I. So like Sabbath, that's an old covenant thing in the sense that it was on the Ten Commandments, right? That giving God one day a week where I don't do my normal work, but I honor him by, by letting, leaving that up to him. I do that not because it's a rule to be in right relationship with God, but I do that because I know that God is my source. And it's an act of faith that I Sabbath, that I can say, I believe that God can handle the world one day without me doing my normal work, one day a week. And as an act of faith, I do that. I give as an act of faith, why? Not to be right and to somehow check a box, but because I know that God is my source. God has always been my source. It all belongs to him. I change my to be into because I. And so we, here's the thing. This is going to rock somebody's world right now. I, I don't repent to be forgiven. Because I am forgiven, I repent. Some of us have been our whole life trying to repent to be forgiven, repent to be forgiven, change to be forgiven, change to be forgiven. No, I don't repent to be forgiven. How many of you guys know that Jesus forgave me 2,000 years ago on the cross? That has been done. He doesn't get back up on the cross every time I screw up. He doesn't, he doesn't die for me all over again every time I need forgiveness. I have been forgiven. Sin, as far as the east is from the west, from the, even, even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. It was never based on anything I did. But I'm not just going to slack off and say, well, that doesn't matter. I don't have to live right or anything. No, 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 no. Because I am forgiven, oh, man, my heart 
repents to turn towards his ways. I to be has been changed to because I. And so as we wrap up, because I think we're out of time, but our worship team comes back up. Here's the biggest because I, and it's because I have been with Jesus. And this is what they noticed about the apostles in Acts chapter four, verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, in other words, they couldn't have done this on their own. They didn't do this because they were so great. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What I'm saying in this message is whether you're on the side of, am I doing enough? Or whether you're on the side of, am I doing too much? What I'm saying is there's no need to go over the wall to try to earn salvation. You can go through the door and that door, you get there by faith in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to do all these two B's to be right with God. Once you have, have said yes in the baptismal waters, you are now the right standing of Christ. It's a gift that's been given to you through the right standing of Jesus Christ. That when that exchange happened, he got on the cross and he took your sin. He gave you the gift of his righteousness. So that the Father, when he looks at you, he sees you through the lens of Jesus and what he's done for you. Now because of that... I follow him. Because of that, I turn and go his way. Because of that, I obey. Because of that, I surrender my thoughts. Because of that, because I, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because I have been crucified, now I live unto Christ. And it's from that motivation, a motivation of faith, not obligation, that causes me to walk in obedience and not become a legalist. And so my hope and my prayer is that somebody gets set free today and that you, as we sing this last song, that you lay your two B's down and you say, because I, because I have been saved, I give. Because I have been set free, I can walk in obedience. Because I am his, I can trust him as my source. Because I know that he holds the world in the palm of his hand, I think I can Sabbath every now and then and things are gonna be just fine. Because I know that I'm his, I'm his son, I'm his daughter. Would you stand up with me? Lord, we surrender our two B's right now. Come on, even as a declaration of faith, right where you're at, just say, because I, because I, because I have been saved, because I have been set free, because I have been forgiven, because I have been made right with God, because I am his, I will. And Lord, I pray for that revelation to be so deep on the inside of us. We don't ever try to scale the wall, we go through the door. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the door. And now we do open up the door of our heart. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit.